0: I'm very afraid that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. And it's been said by many Jewish organizations that this is the highest number of Jews killed in a single day since the Holocaust.
1: Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation.
2: Welcome to another edition of Christ and Culture. I'm Ken Keefley. And I'm Benjamin Quinn. And
1: today's episode will be a little bit different. Typically, we begin each episode with our segment entitled Headlines, that part of the show where we look at some aspect of the headlines from a Christian perspective Today's episode will be devoted exclusively to one of the biggest headlines uh, in the news right now, which is the crisis in the Middle East.
2: Yeah, that's right. And that's another reason why instead of dropping uh, the uh, the podcast on Friday, as we typically do, we're, we're dropping it earlier, simply because we're recording this on a Wednesday and the situation is changing, not just daily, but almost hourly. And so, well, let's get to our conversation on the crisis in the Middle East. In recent days, the world's attention has been glued to Hamas's deadly terror attacks in Israel and Israel's response. We want to better understand what's going on and why, and we want to know how we can pray.
1: Indeed, Dr. Keithley, and here to discuss this today with us is Dr. Ant Grenham. Dr. Grenham, for many years, served here at Southeastern as a professor of missions and Islamic studies, is the author of multiple books, including the upcoming co-edited volume, Islam and the Bible. Uh, He has a fascinating background, as he will share with us. Dr. Grenham, thank you for joining us today.
0: Certainly. Thank you for the privilege. And it's my prayer that the Lord will use what I have to say, and it will be beneficial to everyone who listens.
2: You do have a a fairly unique background in that you have uh, served as a diplomat in the Middle East. Tell us a little bit about your story.
0: Certainly. I was a South African diplomat, and from the South African side, I served both the former apartheid government and the post-apartheid governments in different situations within the Middle East. I was the third secretary at the South African Embassy in Tel Aviv, Israel, from 1981 to 1984. And at that time, I was just immersed in the whole Israeli situation, got to know Israel really well. Also got to know the Palestinians a little bit, because my sister's friend married a Palestinian. So we got to go to Gaza a couple of times and hear things from the perspective of people living there. It was my first stint in the Middle East. The second was quite a few years later. This is now after everything's changed in South Africa, we have a move towards a post apartheid situation. I was asked to open the first ever South African embassy in Amman, Jordan. Did that in December of 1993 and I stayed there until June of 1998. I was a charge d'Affaires until 1995 when an ambassador was appointed and continued as first secretary after that That's significant to the israel palestine thing because the vast majority of jordan's population is palestinian people who have fled there over the years and who are still very strongly attached to their original homeland on the other side of the jordan river i want to add Three other things, if I may, to my background, in addition to my being a diplomat, and those are that I did my PhD dissertation on the subject of why Palestinian Muslims become believers in Christ. My wife and I conducted interviews on that in 2003. Subsequent to that, my son has married a Jewish believer, which means that in terms of Jewish law, Her two children, my granddaughters, my youngest granddaughters, are Jewish. So I have Jewish granddaughters. They lived in Israel for seven and a half years. They just returned to the U.S. in July. And then the other thing I want to mention is my oldest granddaughter. She's the daughter of my daughter. Uh, She's 19 years old now. She had a gap year between her high school and college. And one of the things she did at that time is she volunteered for an organization called Shevet Achim, which means Brothers Dwelling Together. What they do, it's a Christian organization that funds people who have little children with really serious heart defects to come to Israel where they have surgery performed by Israeli doctors. During that time, these folks are able to tell these folks the good news about Jesus, and then they go back to where they came from. And those places are both Iraqi Kurdistan, but also Gaza. My granddaughter often helped with this ministry and often went to the arrest checkpoint, which is on the border of Israel and Gaza. So I'm just saying this to say that if the situation had been different, my granddaughters, uh, all three of them, could well have been killed or kidnapped in what's happening now in, um, in Israel.
2: Yeah, what, what we saw on the news over the weekend was particularly heinous. And now as they've gone through this week of recovering uh, bodies, this seems to go almost beyond anything we've seen, even even like the 9-11 uh, attacks, which were horrific. Uh, what they did to women and children seems to be something that just has us has stunned that one human being could do that to the other you mentioned gaza a couple of times for most of our hearers you, you you compared compared to me not just most of our hearers you have you have so much more experience and exposure and understanding of what's going on uh, in the middle eastern region you mentioned gaza what is the difference between gaza and the west bank they're two
0: separate Palestinian territories, and the Gaza Strip is about 25 miles long and not quite 10 miles wide. It runs on the uh, on the Mediterranean Sea, and it's bordered by mostly by Israel, and then a tiny little bit in the south, bordered by Egypt. And then, quite separate is what's called the West Bank. That's the West Bank of the Jordan River. That's a much larger territory. It would cover places people would know from the Bible, like Hebron. Bethlehem, Shechem, which is uh, basically the Palestinian city, there's Nablus, and so that is um, a much larger area. As I said, on the west side of the um, of the Jordan River, essentially Israel controls the West Bank, but Israel withdrew its forces from Gaza in 2005, and so Gaza has been controlled by Hamas, and I'll say more about Hamas in a minute. Yes, please do. Uh, since uh, 2007, whereas the West Bank is controlled by the um, Palestine Liberation Organization, which signed a peace treaty with Israel back in 1993, so although you've got these differences, the Palestinian people tend to see themselves as as one group of people that would include people who live in Gaza, people who live in West Bank, people who be refugees in other places like Jordan, Lebanon, on the diaspora, and also. Um, Arab citizens of Israel, about uh, 2 million of the 9 million citizens of Israel would be would be Arab, and they would regard themselves as Palestinian as well.
2: You mentioned, you said, you talked about Hamas and the PLO. What is the difference? What, what is the PLO and, and what is Hamas?
0: Both groups would be pushing for Palestinian uh, liberation of one form or another. What tends to happen is these are maximalist demands. And traditionally, uh, you would see maps where the Palestinians want all of Palestine, from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River. And the PLO have tended to be more political, and Hamas tends to be more religious. And let me explain a bit more about uh, about Hamas here. It's actually an acronym, H-A-M-A-S. It mm. stands for Harakat al Islamia. al which has translated the Islamic resistance movement. Mm. And it began just as a religious organization, and ironically enough, in the nineteen seventies and eighties, before it became Hamas as such, the Israelis supported it because it was against their arch enemy, the PLO. All that changed in nineteen eighty seven, when you had what's called the first Intifada or uprising against Israel. And that's when Hamas came into its own as the movement that we, we know it today. more thing about Hamas and, and and the PLO. The PLO have signed a treaty with Israel, recognizing its right to exist. And there's a lot of cooperation between the PLO, which administers much of the West Bank and Israel, whereas with Hamas not, they are totally devoted to Israel's destruction. And I just wanted to add one more thing about the, the, the Islamic side here. This is part of a thing that we need to appreciate that, driven by Islam, Islam is of course not entirely monolithic. The big thing with Islam is the Muslims worship an unknowable God. For most Muslims, what that means is they leave things to God and, um, and on their last day, on the last day of judgment, and get on with their lives for a tiny proportion and a significant proportion, that knowable nature of God drives him to radicalism. And that is definitely the feature of Hamas. And so what they're doing is very much a, if you like, a, a theological thing. When you don't have theological security, you can find yourself doing all kinds of despicable things. And I just want to underline what you were saying earlier. the, mm. The events that have emerged from Israel, in the last uh, the last few days have been absolutely horrific. I, I must confess, I was I actually wept this morning just looking at some of the new news items coming through. Terrible things that have been done. In fact, the New York Times was comparing Hamas has just done in uh, kidnapping and killing to Russia and uh, North Korea. And they're saying even Russia and North Korea do this.
2: Yeah, full warning. My advice to any of our listeners is uh, don't Google the, a search for the images uh, unless, unless you're fully prepared for some, some horrific, horrific things. So to reiterate what you just said, uh, the Gaza Strip is geographically distinct and different from the West Bank and uh gaza if i heard you correctly is controlled by hamas whereas the west bank is controlled by the plo yeah. and so so with hamas doing what they're doing one has to wonder why now and and why in the way they did i mean first we're going to ask why now and then we'll talk later about what they're hoping to achieve but uh, why now what 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 what's going on
0: Sure, oh, this is a good question. Uh, firstly, we have to appreciate something about Gaza: we are 2.3 million people living there in this tiny strip of territory. It's it's effectively an open air prison camp, because mm-hmm. people can't basically can't move in and out. Very small numbers of people are allowed to um, to travel. Like in the case of my granddaughter, those with serious heart defects so would be allowed in ones and twos to to travel to Israel and come back. Uh, the small numbers of people are allowed into Egypt. It's very, very difficult to to move in and out. So,
2: so therefore, it is just as difficult for them to travel to Egypt as it is for them to travel to Israel.
0: Almost as difficult, yes. You have to be okay. on a list of being pre-approved before you can cross the border. Don't just arrive at the border and hope to cross.
2: So you have this, what you're calling about, this very small area of geography on the coast, the Mediterranean coast, in which two and a half million people are all sort of crammed together, Yes. Uh, that that does seem that does sound like a prescription for trouble
0: Absolutely. and so you you've had lots of um incidents between hamas and uh, and israel before but it seems like what's happened this time is israel was caught completely by surprise and uh there are going to be serious questions that will have to be asked as to why there was such a security breach but um, why now would be um, answered by what's been happening in the last uh, five, or year, five years or so with the so-called Abraham Accords under the Trump administration where Israel potentially signed peace with a number of Arab countries. That's the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, also Sudan, although things have fallen apart in Sudan, so we won't mention them. But then in the last month or so, there was serious talk about Saudi Arabia joining this group. And what's happened is in the past, Arab states would refuse to recognize Israel until the Palestinian problem was resolved. It seems now that the the Arab states are more interested in just going ahead and having relations with Israel because of uh, what they can get out of it. And the Palestinians are feeling that they've been left in the lurch by everybody. And so my take on Hamas is that they managed to launch this surprise operation, which in spite of the incredible atrocities, was obviously very well planned, and I must suspect that Iran had a finger in the pie here, although they weren't directly responsible to provide um, advice and uh, guidance. Seems to be seems to be likely, but I think what they've done here is they making this incredibly strong and we also say unutterably wicked statement that you simply can't ignore us, Palestinians. We are front and center here.
1: We will not let you forget who we are. Here at Southeastern, we know that our global Great Commission impact is only made possible by faithful ministry partners and supporters like you who share our vision for equipping students to make disciples through the local church and around the world. On Giving Tuesday, November 28th, we invite you to join us by giving to support our Great Commission efforts. To give now or to learn more about how your giving can have an eternal Great Commission impact, visit sebts.edu slash give.
2: Yeah, one has to wonder what their end game is because surely they had to know that if they commit atrocities the way that they have, and they take hostages the way that they have, that the response from Israel would be, well, terrifying. And and, uh, and so one has to wonder, what are they hoping to accomplish?
0: Yes, indeed. And I think the hostages might be part of it. Israel has a record of doing its utmost to rescue people who have been captured in the past. A good example was the soldier, Glad Shalit, who was captured in 2006. After five years, in 2011, he was released in exchange for 1,027 Palestinian mm. prisoners. One to 1,000. All that effort. And so I think Hamas is reckoning that the, um, the hostages would have restrained Israeli, the Israelis' response. That has not been the case
2: well you know if they had just came over attacked uh, as they often you know might do and then took off with hostages that might seem like a, a a a remotely rational plan the slaughtering of 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 children in gruesome and horrific ways i can't understand what they were hoping to achieve by that. I mean, that just seems like an an act of pure hatred and pure evil.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I I must say that um, you have to remember that it really is awful because of who people are. People are made in God's image. They are killing fellow image bearers. Israelis have used the phrase animals. It's actually worse than that. Image bearers behaving in this despicable way. I think some of the ideology that comes from an unknowable God lies behind us, and that when you are when you are loose from a uh, a secure relationship with with a God who who loves you, all sorts of terrible things are possible. It's the nature of human evil.
2: So Hamas down in Gaza has uh, attacked Israel. Uh, there's also talk about Hezbollah in the north. What's yeah. the difference? What's you know you've mentioned you've explained to us. Uh, who Hamas is, who is Hezbollah?
0: Yes. Hezbollah literally means the party of God, and uh, they are a Lebanese uh, group. Uh, to a large extent, they control the country of Lebanon, which is um, uh, divided amongst different groups. They are strongly supported by Iran. Um, the fear is that Hezbollah might get involved in this. They have an incredibly large arsenal in southern Lebanon aimed at Israel and Nothing much has happened there since the last uh, war with Israel in 2006. But the question would be whether, um, whether Iran might encourage them to to, uh, to launch an attack. And I believe this is one reason why the, uh, the U.S. aircraft carrier, Gerald Ford, has moved to, to dissuade um, Iran from um, any kind of ideas. There have been a few skirmishes, but nothing... Nothing nearly as serious has happened in the South with, uh, with Hamas.
2: Yeah, so I can't help but notice you mentioned Hamas being funded by Iran. You say that Hezbollah is supported by Iran. Uh, one detects a trend. Uh, do you do you see this as as maybe as a proxy war where Iran is attacking Israel?
0: Yes, one can speculate quite a bit on this because it's a little bit fuzzy as exactly how Iran is involved, because they're denying any kind of direct involvement, and all the reports I've read seem to back that up. However, the question is, what's happening in the world at large in terms of the world changing from a unipolar situation where the United States is, uh, without any doubt, the most powerful country in the world, to a multipolar situation? And it's very possible that Iran is... uh, Seeing what they can manage in terms of flexing their muscles. And as you know, they're supporting um the Russians and their war with Ukraine. And this would be um a risk to see um what can we get away with and how 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 much will America respond in terms of the way they've responded in the past. And I think that's where President Biden's very forceful uh, words um uh, would be will be relevant.
2: Yes, I, I thought it was um Fascinating uh, he, that he gave perhaps what is the strongest full-throated endorsement of Israel ever given by a U.S. president. I thought I, I think that was significant. Yes. yes. So going back to Hamas and in the Gaza Strip, my understanding is, is that Israel a few years back in a previous incursion uh, controlled much of Gaza and then withdrew from it because they really don't want to have to manage it so what do you expect israel to do uh besides we see we see a lot of 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 uh rocket and air attacks in which buildings are being destroyed i take it that they're going to invade what do you see israel doing
0: i'm very afraid that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better and one thing i want to add here it's this uh, latest event, the set of events, has been compared to the Yom Kippur War of 1973, when Israel was taken by surprise. But in many ways, this is worse because most of the people attacked and killed and taken hostage were civilians, not soldiers. And one important comparison is, is that it's not uh, just a comparison with the Yom Kippur War fifty years ago, but been said by uh, many Jewish organizations that this is the highest number of Jews killed in a single day since the Holocaust.
2: Yeah. And it it one has it, to
0: factor it, that in in terms of how Israel is going to respond.
2: Yeah, I think that the nine eleven analogy may be appropriate here or something to that, where how shocked the United States uh, was at that time uh, and the way that. The nation as a whole reacted. I think uh we we should expect Israel to do uh something very similar. You and I, Dr. Grenham, are old enough to actually remember the Yom Kippur War. And please, please. that was again a time in which Israel was surprised. Um, and we wondered if it could be contained. What are your concerns? What what would happen if this actually broke out into the region? Uh, I realize that we're speculating, but go ahead and speculate just yes. a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's a fundamental rule: never speculate about the Middle East, because it's bound to be wrong. But well, uh, no, yeah,
2: yeah, nobody's going to. Ho- yeah. Neither one of us are prophets, or the sons sure. of prophets.
0: Let me uh, let me give it, give give you my best shot here. I'm I'm very concerned about the humanitarian situation in Gaza right now. Basically, people have nowhere to go. Numerous buildings are being destroyed already. I was listening to a reporter this morning. She's been Evacuated the third time, and is where do you evacuate to? Yeah. You evacuate to um, to the hospital, and this building after building is destroyed. And I'm, I'm very concerned about that. Also with electricity um, cut off and no supplies coming in, this huge population, no way of sustaining itself. But then, the other thing is, I suspect that Israel intends to invade Gaza with the 300,000 troops that they've called up you going to have to go through the entire territory. Remember, we've got 2.3 million people, apartment to apartment. These people hate them. Looking for weapons, I have no doubt that they'll able be able to do this. But the uh, the amount of hatred that will increase from this uh, it just doesn't bear thinking about. And of course, the other fear would be whether Hezbollah decides to to get involved in whether Iran does anything. So uh, the the Dangers of escalation and especially the humanitarian side is um, great concern
2: well, I was going to ask you uh, how do you think Christians ought to pray and be praying for this situation? Um, obviously, the humanitarian uh, side of things is an obvious uh, place which we should be focusing our prayers to the lord yes
0: this is this is absolutely important and um i want to I want to read a quote that I got from a a church called the Alliance Church. And in some ways, they are saying similar things to um, Jews for Jesus' sky, Ellie Bernbaum, who's on the ground in Tel Aviv. Um, I've met his wife. My, my son knew him. And but they're saying something similar here. But this, is um, this I think, is helping us get things back into the perspective of uh, evangelical believers. And what they write here, the Alliance Church, For us as an Arab-Palestinian Christian church, we perceive things on the spiritual level. Satan is trying to take control and take as many souls with him. Our role as a church is to break all the plans and impressions of Satan over Israel and over Palestine. As Christians, we do not stand with any political group or nation or love and support one group and hate or demonize the other. But we stand against Satan only, as our wars with him. Our wars with Satan and his armies. I couldn't help thinking of Ephesians. We we fight against flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces. And then, have many requests. I won't read them all. They have nine, but I'll just read three of them. Pray for the protection of believers on both sides. And pray for Arab believers and Jewish believers, so that they may find unity in Jesus rather than division. Pray for repentance over the extreme bloodshed that is taking place in the land, but Satan will stop his plans to harm and kill. For but the Lord will lead many to know him, that they may repent and be saved. I know this was definitely used for Jesus' concern too, but in the midst of all this they will continue to talk about Yeshua as Messiah.
2: That is an excellent prayer list. Uh, It it really does help us understand how to pray better. Dr. Granham, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Certainly.
1: Thank you all for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast, that it helps you to think better about what's going on in the Middle East and certainly to pray more informed in that respect. If you enjoyed this, would you give us a five-star rating and brief review on your podcast platform? Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.